Bitches ain't shit but hoes and tricks. That's all I know of this song. Bitches, bitches, hoes and hoes. Bitch, 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 ho and ho. Bitch, 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 ho, ho. Bitch, 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 ho, ho. all you movie junkies and cinephiles it's time for the sls cast with your hosts matt and tim and welcome one and all to episode 230 of the sls cast yes ladies and gentlemen this would be the common EU voltage episode of the SLS cast because it turns out that there is a common voltage in the European Union, at least what's left of it now that we've, you know, had the whole Brexit thing and everything. Uh, and that common voltage would be nothing less than 230. And with that wonderful little bit of voltage knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. <laughs> That's a very interesting way to say. <laughs> so I was trying Tim. to do the grease lightning thing. Ah. Can you do the grease lightning thing, but say Tim? <laughs> um, let's see here. Well, Tim will cream. You know what I mean? For grease and lightning. Wow, Tim. <laughs> that was so sexy. Ah, I could just yeah. picture you singing me to sleep with that in my ear as you're caressing i was gonna save it for the honeymoon but you know i guess surprise ah yes so what have you been up to lately matthew not too much literally in the last regular week of school and next week is finals week and then i'm out for the semester looking forward to uh being done for this school year i have one school year left um and really if I decided that I wanted to kill myself and end the show in August, I could do it all in one semester, but I kind of like you and I don't want to do that to you. So we're going to take four classes in the fall (laughs) and two classes in the spring. So that's how it's going to end up working. And I do get to take a Spanish class over the summer. Yes, it's finally come. I must now do the Spanish. So I will be the it's gringo. It's going to be awful. I'm telling you that. Oh, I believe it. Especially since it's been almost three years. You're going to be the only gringo in the classroom? More than likely. Yeah. You know, and I don't look anything like Mel Gibson either. So, <laughs> reference. <laughs> El Gringo Matt. <laughs> yes. It's lonely in the classroom with El Gringo Matt. Los gringos. Yes. It's lonely. Yeah, it, uh, I took Spanish in the summer, and that didn't go so well. Uh, I had a personal tutor who, uh, uh, the significant other at that time, uh, was a Spanish whiz, and I, I only made it by the hairs of a C+. Plus. Oh, I have absolutely no illusions. I plan on just scraping by with a C so that I can qualify for the next class and also get a C so I can qualify for the last class where I don't even care if I get a D. Um, I just need to pass it. Anyway, you know, what about you though? Well, I submitted my script yesterday to a, uh, a screenwriting fellowship and 
I've been really busting my ass pretty hard for the past couple months. And it was actually due today. And I didn't realize that until I, I was submitting the script last night. But, you know, I, I felt pretty good where the script was currently. So I went ahead and submitted it last night. And in celebration of submitting my script, finally, I, uh, I decided to drink a whole bunch of Cape Cods out of a skull glass. I mean, it's a legitimate glass shaped out of a skull, and I was watching The Love Witch. So I thought, you know, I'm by myself watching The Love Witch. I just took a shower. I just shaved the hair off my face. So this is the first time I have a baby seal face kind of going on here with no hair. I'm going to do this night right and have a bunch of Cape Cods. Say what you will about that, but I had so many... Cape Cods out of this pretty big glass skull, one after the other, that it all hit me at about 1 a.m., where I passed out on the couch, woke up this morning, and felt so sick. Like, it wasn't just a bad hangover. Like, I, it felt like I came down with something, and it actually didn't go away until about two hours ago. So, yay for Cape Cods kicking me in the... See, that was the reason why I left vodka for whiskey was because I had such a horrible Cape Cod incident about ten, uh, six, seven years ago that I couldn't even go back to drinking vodka. Well, recently I switched from whiskey to vodka, uh, and sco- or scotch to vodka that, I, I don't know, man, like, this being healthy while choosing your liquor thing really isn't working out when I wanted to have Cape Cods out of my skull. First world problems. I guess. Yeah, no shit. Yes, I, 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 I feel your pain. I was uh, glad to help you with the whole submission thing. So hopefully that um, you did goes well for you. Because otherwise I'll feel really bad. <laughs> I'll feel really bad. Because <laughs> I'm all like, do this. And you were like, holy crap, that's amazing. And then I'm like, I know. And then you're, and then you're going to be like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. You're going to go fucking mad. God damn it. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry. And folks, take what we're saying out of context. If you're looking for somebody to help you become more submissive, Matt is the way to go. <laughs> he, he is your guide to be more sub- submissive. <laughs> I am Fifty Shades Freed. <laughs> But in all seriousness, I do appreciate your help with it, and I feel pretty good about it. I mean, you gave me some pretty good ideas. A, a good chunk of them I actually used and worked them in. I don't know, like, I, I feel pretty good about it compared to what the script was like this time last year when I submitted it the first time. I, you know, I'm I'm not as, I, I don't think I'm going to be as embarrassed come October when I go back and look over the script again. I am not... Um, you know me, I'm, I'm, you know how overly critical I am of the stuff that we do and I am, and I can tell you, you have every reason to be proud, man. I'm, what, what we looked at last year versus what you sent, you do have every, every reason to be very proud of yourself. That, yeah, so that's all I have to say about that. There's a secret to that. Cocaine and copious amounts of meth. Every day, meth, meth and cocaine. I take, I take a meth and cocaine bath. You know, I, I highly recommend <laughs> it to down all of you out there. <laughs> yeah, come to think of it, maybe I had a stroke last night. That's why. <laughs> that's why oh. I felt so bad this morning. Oh gosh. Well, you know, just check for the old facial droopage, and 
you know, other than that, I think you're good. Which I can see more clearly now that I shave my facial hair. Yes, it's that would all be. coming together. Well, maybe it was. Maybe you just like uh, when you shaved, you clipped a nerve in your face, and it triggered the whole event. I mean, you know, Bell, Bell's palsy is a thing. I don't. I don't know. All right, so would you, should we go ahead and <laughs> get the hell out of this ditch we're digging and <laughs> check the old mail sack? Check that mail sack. Check it good. Check that mail sack like you should. <laughs> All right. Well, of course, as always, if you'd like to send us an email, we would love for you to send us one. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, we would love for that as well. You can follow us uh, at the SLScast. Looking in the old mail sack here, it turns out we've got like another 25 followers. So I'm going to run through them as fast as we can. Ready? Here we go. From in it, from, from oldest to newest. Yes. We'll do it that way. All right. So we've got no spoilers is following us. They are, of course, from the UK. Uh, we have Pizza Sliced Movies, also from the UK. They're following us now. T-Bars is following us as well. Uh, that would be The Bones and Reaper Show. Uh, five Movie Questions is following us now. Podcast Groupie number one. Yes, thank you so much for following us there. We have Wanjiru Gachi is also following us these days, as well as Stephen J. Bolton and the Cinephile Crocodile. Uh, we also have Dude Imagine If following us. We have the Dak Axie podcast, uh, which would actually be uh, Dr. Action Kickass, um, but they go by D-A-K-A-K-C. Uh, we also have Kyle Hester following us. We've got JV is following us now. And of course, Stay the Course Pod is following us. This is awesome. As well as Secret Stage. Yes, yeah, Secret Stage team is following us. And it looks like we even have the CNC Geek Cast following us via Podbean. That's like the fourth time that's ever happened. So holy crap, snuck that in there. We've even got, uh, jumping right back into the old Twitter following us, uh, Twitter followers. We've got Clarity Speaker who is following us as well. Cinema Bushido, Astro Radio Z. And uh, let's see here. We also have Mary J. Sherman is following us as well. Uh, let's see here. Who else is following us? We've got Bob. Just Bob. Bob is following us. Thank you, Bob. As well as Tara, or Tara. Uh, and then we also have Influencer Bridge following us. The uh, We also have John Springfield Art following us. Out of the Fridge, Easy Rider Raging Podcast, Carving a Life Movie, IABD Presents, and finally, Good Times, Great Movies. Yeah, the GTGM cast. They are all following us. Thank you again so much, all of those wonderful people, for following us. And one more time, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that by following us at the SLS cast. So, it's time for the news. First up from me, we have from StarWars.com with no direct attribution. 
Star Wars Episode Nine and next Indiana Jones get release dates. That's right. Uh, the Walt Disney Company and Lucasfilm announced two major upcoming release dates. Star Wars Episode Nine is now set for release on May 24th, 2019, directed by Colin Trevorrow. The film will close out the third Star Wars trilogy. You hear that, James Cameron? That's how you do movie dates. And then we also have, in addition, the fifth chapter of the Indiana Jones series is now confirmed for a July 10th, 2020 release. Both Steven Spielberg, director of every Indiana Jones film, and star Harrison Ford will return. <clears throat> Let's hope that, uh, you know, Indiana Jones doesn't get stabbed through the chest and thrown off a bridge in this one. Who knows, right? Who knows? Um... Yeah, so there's that. And then also we have uh, here going from new movies that are coming from Variety.com by way of Dave McNary, Batgirl movie, Joss Whedon to direct standalone film. And as of the end of March, this was an exclusive for Variety. Uh, let's cite it says here that Batgirl is flying solo. The superheroine is getting her own standalone movie from filmmaker Joss Whedon. Whedon is uh, nearing a deal to write, direct, and produce an untitled Batgirl pick for Warner Brothers as part of its DC extended universe. No other producers are currently attached. Toby Emmerich, president and chief content officer of Warner Brothers Pictures Group is overseeing with John Berg and Jeff Johns. The new project originated in the past month following a meeting, uh, meeting between Whedon, Berg, and Johns. And uh, yeah, it says here that the movie project will be based on the Batgirl story that was first unveiled in DC Comics in 1967 when Barbara Gordon, the daughter of Gotham Police Commissioner James Gordon, appeared as the character in The Million Dollar Debut of Batgirl by writer Gardner Fox and artist Carmine Infantino. The first mention of Batgirl came in 1961 as the character Betty Kane, niece of Kathy Batwoman Kane, in Batman number 139, created by writer Bill Finger and artist Sheldon Moldoff. So what do you think there, Tim? Um, a 50-year-old origin story being remade by Joss Whedon, um, along with new news confirming the date of Episode Nine, as well as a release for the new Indiana Jones movie. What do you, what do you think of all this information, sir? I find both pieces pretty interesting. I'm okay, surprisingly, with Indiana Jones 5. I have no idea what direction they're going to take the movie. See, but what gets me on that, though, is that they never made a 4. So it's like they're skipping one. You know, you would think they'd go to 4 instead of 5. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. You're not counting Crystal Skull ah, as a proper look. number 4, huh? <laughs> But I mean, I'll tell you this. I, I like the idea of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I thought the idea of moving it more into the Cold War, or not more into the Cold War, just into the Cold War, bringing in the Russians, bringing in an interesting little conspiracy. I sure. liked how they shot the movie to look like a serial from the 1950s, like a pre-movie serial that you'd go to the movie theater and, and watch, like these adventure serials that the original Indiana Jones was based on on that that's where I, I, I thought that was pretty cool that's i was gonna say that's where that's where i think we fall apart i uh, i totally adore the idea and i thought that there were wonderful neat ideas with uh with the idea behind the cold war the conspiracy and aging indiana jones and all that kind of stuff i mean all of those ideas were really wonderful but i think where the actual disconnect was is i don't feel like it was truly shot like the serials from the 50s. I think it was still shot 
in like the serials from the 30s and the 40s it 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 did not have the same vibe of things that made indiana jones great i think that's what held it back and where they tried to make up for that was in the dazzling special effects department and instead of it i mean because let's face it like even the whole like for example the tarzan scene right the tarzan scene is by (laughs) far and away the stupidest thing and yet by the 50s tarzan was completely passe especially when you get to the space race time um Tarzan, that would not have flown. That is, again, something from the 30s and the 40s. And I, I think, and that's what hurt it because visually, like color palette, uh, the idea behind the cinematography and stuff, sure, great visuals in that regard, but the execution of it just is 20 years too late. See, I just think the execution period, regardless if, if it was too late or, anything like that. I just thought the execution was just, was just poor. Um, story wise, script execution, character execution, all that stuff. It just felt more like a callback. In fact, Shia LaBeouf, his performance, like he didn't really bother me. I guess it really didn't bother me too much, especially after, you know, years later, once you find out that Shia LaBeouf himself wasn't too thrilled with what his character had to do, especially with having to be like Tarzan and swing through the vines. You know, he he didn't really rub me too much the wrong way, but it's really the script and the execution of the special effects. And it really relied on the special effects. And I would argue with somebody to the death that the movie isn't complete trash. It has some redeeming qualities to it. I mean, for fuck's sake, it's an Indiana Jones movie. Therefore, it does have some of those Indiana Jones qualities, regardless if it's not what it should have been. But as for Indiana Jones 5, I'm interested in seeing what direction they're going to take the film again. However, I am a little bit worried that it's going to be more than 10 years. Yeah, it'll be more than 10 years since Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, because I think Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out in 2008, summer of 2008. So that would be 10 years. And I know Harrison Ford looks pretty much the same as he did 10 years ago and he sounds the same and he acts the same but he's still much older and if you're not going to introduce a younger character kind of like what they've been doing in the new mission impossible movies with jeremy renner and now henry cavill if they're not going to introduce somebody else which is what they were trying to do with mutt his son shia labeouf i I, i'm just kind of curious to see if it's going to be a an action driven movie or if it's going to be more so adventure, where maybe he's not going to be swinging from rafters or swinging from tree to tree or doing all that or doing a whole bunch of running, which I am totally fine with. In fact, I really do hope if they're going to keep Harrison Ford as the focal point, you know, he is going to be Indiana Jones. He's going to be driving this movie. Well, it needs to be catered to Harrison Ford's age, you know, like how he is now. And it's going to be completely obvious if they throw in a special effects Indiana Jones or a stuntman Indiana Jones when you know perfectly well that Harrison Ford is not capable of doing certain things like he was able to in the 80s. So if if they tone it down in that regard and maybe focus more on the adventure and the mystery, then I'm totally down for it. And that's why I'm kind of holding off of, on being you know too critical on it without knowing too much about it. 
Well, fair enough. All right on, man. Excellent discussion. See, we're jabbing and, you know, going back and forth and, uh, yeah, awesome. Okay, cool. Well, what do you got, sir? One, the second thing. What was the second thing you were talking about? I forgot. Oh, the Batgirl movie. They're, they're literally taking a 50, a literally 50 year old origin story. Yeah. Well, you know, they're doing that with a Superman animated movie. They're bringing back, it's like Superman versus the KKK, I think. And it was a comic that was purchased, or that was purchased, that was wrote, like, I just read about this today. It was published, like, 50 years ago, and I guess Warner Brothers, the, I think it's Warner Brothers, I might have this completely wrong, but somebody's making, is turning that into a movie. So, I, I like Joss Whedon, but then I don't like Joss Whedon, like, I really didn't care for what he brought to the Avengers, you know, to the Marvel movies, but I really like Firefly, you know? I really like The Cabin in the Woods. I just don't know. Again, that's something else I gotta wait until I hear more, you know, of what he's wanting to do with it. But it's interesting, I guess. Right on. Well, what do you got for us, sir? Okay, so I'm gonna knock out uh, my first couple pieces of news, beginning with an IndieWire.com article here. Jonathan Demme, Oscar-winning director of Silence of the Lambs, dies at 73. This year is written by Eric Kahn and Zach Scharf, and this is what it says. Quote, Jonathan Demme, the filmmaker whose career ranged from the David Byrne documentary Stop Making Sense to the Oscar-winning The Silence of the Lambs in Philadelphia, died this morning in New York. He was 73, and that was the morning of April 26th. Continuing, the cause was esophageal cancer and complications from heart disease. According to a source close to the family, he was originally treated for the disease in 2010, but suffered from a reoccurrence in 2015, and his condition deteriorated in recent weeks. Demi maintained a private personal life, but his career was marked by a remarkably versatile creative output that included acclaimed narratives and documentary films stretching back to the early 70s. He made his debut with the 1971 biker film Angels Hard As They Come, a Roger Corman production during the B-movie producer's heyday, but his career reached another plane of critical and commercial success with a string of 80s dramas including Melvin and Howard, Swing Shift, and Something Wild. Demi reached a new plane of success in the next decade with the back-to-back releases of The Silence of the Lambs and Philadelphia. At the same time, he remained an active documentarian, creating the definitive Talking Heads film, Stop Making Sense, in addition to three films with Neil Young. And the article does go on from there a little bit more. We lost a filmmaker, like a true filmmaker here. Jonathan Demme has made some great films. Not just Silence of the Lambs in Philadelphia. He's made some great stuff. And Stop Making Sense is my one of my all-time favorite concert films. It's absolutely wonderful. They, uh, I, I, I was lucky enough to see a screening of it at the New Beverly Theater here a couple years ago in 35mm, and it was absolutely beautiful and absolutely entertaining. He just has this wonderful eye for visual storytelling. We truly lost somebody absolutely wonderful. So R.I.P. Jonathan Demme passed away at the age of 73 due to complications with esophageal cancer and heart disease. Next up for me, via Deadline.com, Sony's Pictures Division reports loss of $719 million. Company's overall net profit takes 
50% hit. This is written by Diana Lauderhose, and it says this. Quote, Sony has recorded a full-year net profit of $655 million, a 50% fall from the previous year, while its pictures division posted a loss of $719 million year-on-year, driven by box office underperformance. Sales and operating revenue for the division sat at $8 billion overall. The results fall in line with the company's recent revision of results. Its nine-month results saw a $913 million loss in the pictures division, largely related to a $962 million impairment charge of goodwill, which was included in Sony's full-year figures. It said it expected the division to return to profit after the write-down. The company, led by CEO Kazuo Hurei, said the overall company decline was impacted by foreign exchange rates. Its annual operating profit sat at $2.57 billion, down 1.9%. On a constant currency basis, Sony said overall sales were essentially flat year-on-year due to significant increases in its gaming services and its electronics business offset by a significant decrease in mobile communications segment sales. Overall sales and operating revenue for the company sat at $67.9 billion for the year, down 6.2% year-on-year. The article does go on from there, but uh, I'm not going to continue reading that depressing news. Yes, I do work for Sony. I will throw that again out there, and what I am about to say does not... I mean, they're they're my comments, they're my opinions, they don't necessarily reflect what other people at Sony uh, believe in, and yada yada yada, all that bullshit. But this doesn't surprise me, and I don't think this surprises you either, Matthew. No. Sony Pictures is taking, hasn't been doing that well, Uh, their, their movies have not. We're putting out great TV shows, we're doing well on the TV side, but it's kind of sad, our biggest hits last year were Sausage Party and Don't Breathe. I know I'm missing, you know, one or two others. Ghostbusters did okay, but shit, life underperformed completely. Smurfs isn't doing all that great. We're we're just not hitting all the marks. So hopefully, I know Spider-Man is a big title coming up that we're super excited for, and hopefully that'll help us get out of the deep end. And also Dark Tower. We also have Dark Tower and Blade Runner, so hopefully those those help. Um, Matt, any comments, questions, concerns regarding Sony or Jonathan Demme? Um, It it was definitely um, sad to hear of Jonathan Demme's passing. I agree with you. It wasn't just Silence of the Lambs in Philadelphia. He did a lot of really cool work. Um, And it wasn't always just in the director's chair that he did a lot of good work. So um, I would definitely look at his body of work and start picking movies that you haven't seen but but you know that you've heard about start watching them um in terms of sony yeah sony needs to um sony needs to find a focus i don't care what that focus is um but they need to find a focus and commit to it um and 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 the focus can't be reboots they, they just need to stop. And and the reboots also include their own properties. Now, while I'm happy that things have worked out thus far in terms of uh, Spider-Man because of the cooperation between Marvel and Sony, um, this it's like I said last year, 15 fucking years they have had Spider-Man three different 
times in 15 years. That means literally once approximately every five years, they're rebooting their own franchises. They don't know what they're doing. It sure as shit seems like they don't know what they're doing when it comes to reboots. So that needs to stop being their focus. They need to figure out what they want to get good at and do it. Lionsgate, they got good, um, they got good at making hard R movies based around concepts that people wanted. They then subsequently got lucky with Hunger Games, um, and kind of exploded from there. A24, they're kind of like the new Miramax right now. They are looking at, they are looking at wonderfully driven and written, directed stories that are well acted. And they don't care where they come from or who's doing them. As long as it's a great story, well acted, and directed well, they're picking those projects and they're moving with them. And it's showing. A24 is huge right now because of that. Um, Warner Brothers, love them or hate them, they have a Warner Brothers classic cinema division, and then they've got the DC thing that they finally spun off so that it can try and take care of itself. They have a vision for what they want to do, and then they set things up to do it. Um, Disney, same thing. They have a vision for what they want to do, and if it's not part of that core vision, then they use they, they then split off to the arm. Sony's just all over the place with everything, be it Columbia, be it Columbia TriStar, be it what have you, uh, be it Sony Pictures, then Sony Pictures Animations. It's like it's all too little too late for them to be trying to be all over the board and stuff. Um, and again, the vast majority of things that they do tend to, be, especially in the big budget arena, tend to try to be remakes of stuff. Um, they need to stop because... I mean, right now, Sony Pictures literally cost Sony half of their operating profits. Half. 50% of their profits were lost because of Sony Pictures. Um, I believe that Sony can turn it around. I just think Sony needs to dump everything, with the exception, I guess, perhaps, of Sony Animation. Um, and just say... We're, oh, we're... well, in Sony Pictures Classics, we do... I mean, those um, are where our great movies come from. I mean, but but those are those your are prestige wag titles. Movies. Yeah, but those are your prestige movies. Yeah, right. That's that's that, that doesn't make money. No, I it, mean, no, it doesn't. But it, I mean, I was saying that because you were throwing in, you know, all the others, you know, the the prestige titles, you know, where the wag titles fall into for other studios as well, like true, Fox true. Searchlight. Right, right, and and, and um, so fine. Sony Pictures Classics, great. Sony Pictures Animation. There, there you think. Now you've got your prestige stuff. You've got your animated stuff where you can kind of focus and pick projects from there. And then they just need to find what they're, find where their heart's at and go with it because it's just not working. And I'm, I'm very hopeful. Don't get me wrong. I'm very, very hopeful for the new Spider-Man, for Spider-Man Homecoming. And I am trepidatious about Dark Tower, but, um, Trepidatious in a good way. It's because it's a really cool property, and even though the books kind of go way the fuck off the rails after, like, by book seven, um, it's still got so much potential to be amazing. So, I I want them to do well, um, you know, especially with Dark Tower. Holy crap. If they can pull off Dark Tower, that's like a 12-movie franchise, no problem. So, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll just have to see. And I don't think anybody is really dying for the upcoming craft, the craft remake and See? Flatliners remake. See, stop, stop. Well, they already made Flatliners. 
uh, oh, just want to, I mean, it, it's, I just kind of want to, you know, take a piece of baloney, right? Oscar Mayer, because they got that thick red-banded baloney, you know, and everything. And I just want to take it, not warm, not but cold. I want to smack the CEO in the face with a cold piece of baloney and go, stop it! Stop it! And then they'll be, why, why would you do that to me? That's outrageous. So are doing bad reboots. Bad reboots are outrageous. Quit it. So Sorry. Tom <laughs> became one of the head honchos of, of Sony, and he came from 20th Century Fox. And I don't know if you know where I'm going to be going with this, but do you remember when we discussed the documentary Life After Pi? And they were talking about how the studio was wanting to outsource all of the like the special effects to like Canada. Yeah, yeah, where they, yeah. Where they don't have to pay that much. Sure. And then it was causing those people to have to move around uh, all over the place and live like vagabonds so that they could chase the work because the studios were chasing the work. Exactly. The t- yeah, yeah, yeah. And they couldn't afford to live here, pretty, uh, these people. And also we heard about with Deadpool – Ryan, they've been trying to get an R-rated Deadpool off the ground at 20th Century Fox for years, up until a few years ago when the man I named moved to Sony. And now they're able to do this stuff at Sony because the big thing about T***man is that he was, and I'm, I mean, he, he's a business guy. I understand what he's trying to do. I get it. But I just don't think he's going about it the right way. His vision is to restrain movies the budget of movies trying to make a good trying to make a movie on an incredibly tight budget that works with something like don't breathe for example the movie only needed to cost a hand, you know a few million dollars because it was basically a lot of no names other than the guy who played the the blind guy i forget his name great actor he's been in a bunch of stuff but i just can't think of his name right now in the movie like The Shallows doesn't cost a lot. And those movies turned a huge-ass profit. And also Sausage Party turned a huge-ass profit because that was only made for $19 million. Granted, the animation suffered because of that budget. But again, on a $19 million budget, the movie made a lot. So because of him being very... You, you know, you know, putting on the restraints budget wise, the quality of films suffer. And because we want to make these big budget movies, it, it kind of makes people wonder, like, is it worth it? Because the quality might not be there, I guess is what I'm what I'm getting at. In my personal opinion, is I kind of think that's why we're not getting quality movies that people want to see is because of the restraints. Well, you know what? We have definitely done some really good talking. So I am going to just go ahead uh, and drop the rest of my news and call it call it good. Did you have anything else that you would like uh, to cover, sir? Yes, only because this is something that's relevant to uh, right now, I think. Yeah, this will be the last thing I talk about. ViaCollider.com, and I'm very interested in hearing what you have to say about this. ViaCollider.com, Logan director James Mangold confirms black and white version is coming to theaters. This here is written by Haley Fouch, and it says this real quick. Celebrate ye nerds and cinephiles. The black and white cut of Logan is upon us. Folks have been hyped for a black and white version of James Mangold's groundbreaking superhero neo-western since the early days of the film's promo campaign, when the director revealed a series beautifully shot behind-the-scenes images. 
before any official stills were released by the studio, Mangold teased the film with a series of black and white images from the set capturing Hugh Jackman's withered one-time superhero and Boyd Holbrook's villainous Pierce in portraits so stark and gorgeous they almost had us thinking 20th Century Fox was going to throw out the rule book entirely with this one and release the first black and white superhero film. Not quite, but sometimes we can have nice things and Mangold is fulfilling fan wishes in time for the home video release and what sounds like a one-night-only theatrical run. Mangold first announced he was working on a black-and-white version of the film back in March, and now that he and his team have put in the effort to regrade and time the entire feature for peak gorgeousness, the director has taken to his Twitter once again to reveal that the black-and-white edition will not only appear on the Blu-ray release, it is getting a very limited theatrical run on May 16th. And that tweet says this, quote, Suggestion, Hardcore B&W black and white loving Logan fans should not make any plans on the evening of May 16th. End all quotes there. So yes, we will be getting a black and white Logan release on May 16th, one night only. Matt, what do you think about this? There is this whole big thing amongst movie fans. I don't know if cinephiles are really looking for black and white versions of movies like this or there i mean at least we're you know cinephiles aren't really calling for black and white versions i think people that like to think they're cinephiles are calling for black and white versions i mentioned during pre-show that the movie the mist frank darabont wanted to release a black and white version of the movie because he thought that was the superior version of the movie because it's a very old-fashioned movie it has the feeling of a 50s horror movie in fact he made the movie as if it were a genre movie from the from the 1950s. So it works, you know, with the special effects, campy dialogue. The black and white works. Same kind of sort of with, with Mad Max Fury Road. Mad Max Fury Road is a visual treat. So when it's black and white, it completely isolates the color from the cinematography. And so I think you get more of a visual pull when viewing it in black and white. Logan, on the other hand, I just really, I mean, I, I get it. It's a neo-Western, I, I suppose. But will it actually help the movie if it isn't black and white? I don't, I don't know. I mean, Matt, do you have any opinion on this at all? Well, I mean, if if cinephiles aren't asking for it, then maybe the movie junkies are. <laughs> um, no, I, I okay. You know, I, I think that um, God bless them. Is what I have to say. Honestly, if 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 it means that much to you, then go get it. But I mean, just like, um, j- just like with things like the Black and Chrome edition, like you had mentioned, you know, um, I'm sure that someone is going to find something more meaningful out of having Logan being in black and white than having it be in color. Um, I think that if it is truly important enough that it's going to make that much of a difference, then it should be done in black and white to begin with. Um, especially with certain kinds of projects and stuff like that. Um, I think George Miller more than likely could have gotten away with the black and chrome in theaters, especially given uh, its post-apocalyptic nature and stuff like that. Um, you know, maybe not. But uh, Well, he wanted to. He he wanted to release in black and white. It was the studio that wouldn't let him. 
well, uh, you know, and and now there's people who get who who have seen it both ways. Um, I'm not one of them, but then again, I don't care. So um, it's not that I don't respect black and white. It's not that I don't think it doesn't have its place. I just think that um, you need to pick the right pieces and the right vehicles so that you can present it to them that way instead of trying to make more of a, a statement by saying, oh, no, but now you need to look at it this way so you can see the difference. That's all. So yeah. God bless them. Go for it. Knock yourselves out. Enjoy well, let us May know 16th, what you people. think, our favorite listener out there. We, we right. want to know. And with that, I think it's time for our bonus segment, is it not? Bonus segment away, Matthew. Yes, it's time now for the ultimate letdown. Ultimate. One and only ultimate letdown. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, let's see here. So as you guys know, it's been a while since we've done this one. So uh, for some of our newer listeners, we will let you, we'll fill you in. Ultimate letdown. Basically a movie for whatever reason. Could be a critical success, box office failure, doesn't matter. Uh, loved, hated, cult classic. Just any movie for that for whatever reason you were really excited to see. And then when you saw it, you were just so, so very disappointed. It's an ultimate letdown for you. Um, so for me, I, um, I picked 2007's Spider-Man 3. I'm going to ask MJ to marry me. A man has to put his wife before himself. Can you do that, Peter? Yeah, I think I can. We have some new information. This is your uncle's actual killer. We lost his trail two days ago. This man killed my uncle, and he's still out there. Everybody needs help sometimes, Peter. Even Spider-Man. Revenge is like a poison that can take us over. And before you know it, it can turn you into something ugly. The suit. Where'd this come from? The power. Feels good. Whoa, Spidey, love the new outfit. Remember Ben Parker? What does it matter to you anyway? You knew this was coming, Pete. What's happening here? We've all done terrible things to each other, but we have to forgive each other, or everything we ever were will mean nothing. I need your help. I have to stop it. This could be the end of Spider-Man. Now, I loved the original Spider-Man series in terms of Spider-Man and then Spider-Man 2. I really thought that Spider-Man 2 built on Spider-Man in a lot of great ways. Um, In some ways, there are people who say sophomore slump is is a real thing. Other people would say, ah, but the middle one is really where it's at because it sets up so much cool stuff. And I really feel that... um, Spider-Man 2 fell into that latter category. Uh, you really get the feeling that, uh, that not just the action is moving forward, and it's not just building to something that's even better, but that you have this great relationship that you can finally see where Peter and Mary Jane are going to actually be working together. So, um, and then on top of that, you're getting the introduction of Venom and you're getting even without being without it being venom you're still getting black suit spider-man 
And I just was like, oh my god. And then they got Sandman in there as well. And I and um Thomas Hayden Church really um has a great dramatic side to him. And so when I saw that all this stuff was going to converge to really bring this story home, I was like, oh my god. I, I mean, I was in Spider-Man fangasm mode, right? Um And so then I watched the movie. And the movie... It's not great. I mean, it's not that it's the worst thing you've ever seen. And and everybody always likes to point to the cringeworthy scene where you you know uh, Tobey Maguire is out there and he's in his emo you know clothes and everything, and he's doing that crazy ass pelvic thrust dance and stuff like that. Um, and even when you can account for the fact that yes, everybody in the production knows it's supposed to be cringy, uh, because that's kind of the point. It's the irony of the scene or whatever. Um, it doesn't save it, right? And it's the same thing. You have so much potential for so many good things that just end up going, you didn't save it. And it was just so disappointing overall. Not to mention, they wasted Venom, they wasted Sandman, they wasted the relationship between Peter and Mary Jane, especially when you know you're going into this movie with it being your last movie. I just, I, I didn't cry or anything, but I was actually kind of depressed when I left the movie theater, because it, it, it's like, it's like if you go to something that has really been a part of not just not necessarily your formative years, but something that really helped you to begin to define the thing that you love. And for me, that really helped the Spider-Man series in terms of the action genre, in terms of comic books. Um, you got to remember in 2001 uh, or 2002, you've got this huge turn where comic books are really starting to, they're really starting to cook. They're finding their footing now. They're getting good stories. Uh, you know, people are starting to believe in the money-making potential and stuff. And also for me, it was solidifying a new field for me in my love of movies overall. And to watch this franchise just completely crash and burn, um, it was a little bit soul crushing. Not just ultimate letdowny, but soul crushing. So, Spider Man 3 from 2007, that is my ultimate letdown for this, this bonus segment. What do you got there, Tim? Well, Spider Man 3 is another Sony movie. <laughs> and since you brought that up, and we were talking about Sony earlier, I, uh, during the pre show, when, I, when Matt told me that he chose. Spider-Man 3, I was telling him that I, that was the one movie or the first movie that I ever considered walking out of. That The very first movie I ever considered, actually considered walking out of. I mean, that's how much it really bothered me. And um, But I, I think what made me feel super sad about that film is that it was virtually, almost virtually hated by folks. And it's even hated by Sam Raimi. Because Sam Raimi wanted to tell a more, uh, you know, tell a different story, I guess. But it was Sony. It was the studio that said, no, 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 no. We want Venom in here. We want to do this. We want to make this character change. So Sam Raimi had to, like, shoehorn in Venom and kind of switch the movie up a bit. And, of course, with all the negativity, he wasn't able to make the fourth movie, which I think that's when he was planning on 
um, on uh, introducing Venom. So that's what he was working towards. But the studio wanted him to introduce Venom earlier on. And that was the end of Sam Raimi doing Spider-Man and why we had the Andrew Garfield reboot. And now we're having the other reboot with with Marvel and all that stuff. Spider-Man 3, Les Sad. But my ultimate letdown this time around is brought to us by the year 2013. All I know is I'm not going to sit here another day. Spring break. How are we going to get enough money? I don't know. We're the only one still here. Spring break. Tired of seeing the same thing. Spring break. It's your chance to see something different. Spring break. Just get that cash. Pretend like it's a video game. We can do this. Spring break. Who are you? My name's Aileen. Why are you here? I saw y'all in there. You like nice people. Come on, y'all. Why acting suspicious? <laughs> I knew y'all special from the moment I saw you. It's written on your faces. Because I just have a really, really bad feeling about this. Let's cause some trouble now. Break, break, bitches! I got my dark tanning oil. Lay out by the pool. This is the American dream, y'all. Spring break. Y'all want to die tonight? Spring break. Get down! You're scared, aren't you? Spring break forever. Spring break forever, bitches. My loneliness oh, is killing me. And I, I must confess, I still believe. Spring Breakers, yes, released on March 22nd, 2013. This is a crime and drama film, a rated R crime and drama film, directed by Harmony Corinne. Harmony Corinne is best known for writing the movie Kids, directing a movie called Gummo, and another film from 1999, Julian Donkey Boy. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with any of those flicks. Um, I am not familiar with any of those movies at all. In fact, Spring Breakers was her first full-on movie since the year 2009, and uh, and that 2009 movie was called Trash Humpers, and I'm not too sure how widely popular that movie was, Trash Humpers. (laughs) But the reason why I was drawn to this film, Spring Breakers, um, real quick, it stars James Franco. He plays a character named he plays a, a like a white rapper thugly dude named Alien, a gangster guy named Alien. Selena Gomez, Vanessa Hudgens, Ashley Benson, Rachel Corinne, Gucci Mane, Heather Morris, and a bunch of other people that I have no idea who they are, but apparently they're people. Um, it's about these four college girls who decide to go all out for their spring break. And uh, they don't have money to fund their spring break, so they decide to rob a bank. And uh, in the process of robbing that bank, they end up getting caught by the police and thrown into jail. Well, this white gangster thugly dude, James Franco, Alien, uh, well, the character's name is Alien, played by James Franco. He, he has the grill. He speaks, or not a very elegant speaker, I guess bells these girls out and they basically join his gang i suppose so and these aren't just like your normal girls these are very 
boobalicious, bootylicious, blonde hair, multicolored hair, showing their tits and ass all over the place. So it was very in-your-face. Now, this isn't necessarily a movie that I am gung-ho about seeing. The reason why I wanted to see this movie, regardless, even though I'm not a big fan of the the actors, nor have I even heard of this Harmony Corinne director, but I am a big fan of the cinematographer. The cinematographer goes by the name of Benoit Debbie, and Debbie is the chap who did the cinematography for Enter the Void and Get the Gringo. Two movies which featured gorgeous cinematography. At that time, I have yet to see Enter the Void all the way through, so at that time I didn't realize how crappy Enter the Void actually is, other than its beautiful cinematography. In fact, I think I did Enter the Void for an ultimate letdown a couple years ago. But I did see Get the Gringo, and I really liked what he brought to the table in Get the Gringo. Granted, it's not as visually trippy and visually psychedelic as Enter the Void. It's still a well-shot film. But Spring Breakers had the same distinct visual flair as Enter the Void. It's not very psychedelic, it's not very trippy, but it reminded me a lot of the neon look of the movie Drive. And at the time, I was very much into, you know, smoking a little bit and watching movies and really kind of finding that groove of a movie via its visual style. And so that's what I based this movie on. In my head, I built it up like, oh, this is going to be a cool little movie. It'll be about these chicks who get into mischief, cause crimes, you know, all this shit. And James Franco is in it. He's a white gangster. Why not? And visually, it's going to be entertaining. So I sit down, watch the movie, and I just don't care about this movie 10 minutes into it. It's a little bit too much in your face visually. In fact, it's visually hypnotic for the sole purpose of being visually hypnotic. You're supposed to care about these girls, but you don't. They're privileged, you know, bitches. And they deserve exactly what the hell is going on. The movie takes a kind of a dramatic turn, which you're really not completely on board for. It's very uneven. Um, you know, like, like to me, it, it was the equivalent of when you are out with a group of friends and... One of them, you know, is, is you know, drinking a lot of stuff and they find somebody that they're really into. And, you know, you, you know, depending on who this friend is, if you know, it's a guy or girl, you pull them off to the side and say, hey, look, I think what you're doing is a, is a bad idea. Um, why don't you just sit back, you know, take a load off, collect your thoughts, drink some water, go out, get some fresh air and, you know, revisit the situation later on. But, you know, they don't heed your multiple warnings and they go ahead and make very poor decisions until after the fact they completely regret what they have done can't i mean you feel bad for them but you can't help but to tell them like you you know i tried fucking telling you you know i tried to, i mean that's kind of what you feel like with these girls therefore the movie renders itself useless pretty much so that was my long way of saying that the movie was just ultimately pointless what drew me to watch this movie and to be excited about seeing this movie was its distinct visual flair. Even that was pointless again. So that is why I chose 2012's Spring Breakers as my ultimate letdown. Awesome. All right. Well, that concludes our ultimate letdown segment for this week. Next week, um, we have a very special bonus segment remember that remember back in the 80s and early 90s when when uh, certain sitcoms and stuff would have those very special episodes uh, well we're going to have a 
very special bonus segment. But don't worry, there's no bike shop owners that are, you know, turning into like child rapists or anything. It's it's not like that. But we're still not going to tell you what it is. So, huh, that's <laughs> next week. What what kind of shows did you watch in the 80s different or strokes. 90s? Where... Different strokes. Really? Yeah. That happened? It it really did. They had a very special episode in which the the guy who played the station manager in WKRP and was also a Maytag repairman on TV for, for like all through the 90s and even early, into the early 2000s was played a bike shop owner and Arnold and his friend would go over and hang out with him and uh, and it showed how predators would groom young boys and do things and get them to like learn about secrets and stuff like that and there and how they would escalate it and of course it was to teach kids about that kind of thing so wow i mean if you're gonna be written out of a tv show i mean i wonder if he was like expecting that like (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. no it was he was just there for yeah he was it was just a part for for that one episode or little two episode arc or something like that interesting Mind blown, to be honest. Yeah, that's how, huh. they, that's how they would teach kids about serious shit. So, anyway, yeah. like So, want to do some movies instead? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go, folks. It's... The Movies! <laughs> received different strokes from different folks <laughs> quite <laughs> literally uh, anyway all right so this week's movies are the love witch and the boss baby where do you want to start sir you know i i know you really liked the boss baby so i'm i'm excited to hear your take on it so let's let's start off with the boss baby the templetons <laughs> were making plans for their newest edition what the Meet your new But this baby has other plans. We babies are having a crisis. Babies aren't getting as much love as we used to. Behold our mortal enemy. Puppies. No! That's exactly the problem. Have you learned anything? A, B, C, D. No, what have you learned about puppies? Hey, puppies! No, Jimbo, puppies are evil. Stacy, read back the notes. I can't read. What's it say? Boss, period! Oh, it's like they're having their own little meeting. <laughs> Who wants dessert? This is so humiliating. You got the right baby for this job. I know how important this mission is to the company. Mission? You can talk! Ah! Poop duty! Ah! I've got to deal with the KID. Who are you? I'm on a mission. There's not enough love to go around. My job is to find out why. Now give me a double espresso and see if there's some place around here with decent sushi I'd kill for a spicy tuna roll right about now. If I don't succeed with this mission, I will live here forever with you. Okay, I will help you, but just to get rid of you. Deal. DreamWorks, the boss baby. Put that cookie down. Cookies are for closers. 
All right, the Boss Baby 2017 uh, American commuter com- commuter <laughs> computer animated comedy film, uh, loosely based on the 2010 picture book of the same name. Uh, it's of course a DreamWorks flick and directed by Tom McGrath. Stars Alec Baldwin, Steve Buscemi, uh, Miles Bakshi, who is actually the the kid in this movie, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, Lisa Kudrow, and narrated by Tobey Maguire. Um, all right, so basically we have Timothy Templeton telling the story of how um, he first met his brother. And of course, the brother is the boss baby himself, voiced by Alec Baldwin. Now, um, this movie is like fucking Pixar level clever. I mean, this is like coming out the gate swinging for the first time truly since Shrek. Um, to give you an idea of just exactly how hard uh, DreamWorks was swinging for the fences on this. And as far as I'm concerned, they succeeded. This movie is um, basically sets up an entire world where you understand the idea behind where babies come from, from a parental perspective, but also from a kid perspective that makes sense from the idea of why kids relate to babies the way that they do, and also really and truly incorporates the nostalgia factor of make-believe play, of imagination, and how that can translate into what adults see. And yet they also do it in a very, very simple, in in a remarkably linear fashion. And they have just so many jokes. The wizard alarm clock is just unbelievable in this film. I was um, totally blown away. Uh, (laughs) And I, I mean, it's like, okay, let me put it this way. I... This is the kind of stuff that comes out of this movie. I texted Tim after I saw the movie, and I was like, "Listen, I don't know if you've seen Baby, the Boss Baby yet, but you know, I think I really need a magical shank." And you think to yourself, "What the fuck, magical shank?" And then it makes you want to watch the movie. Now, the problem with this movie uh, was its marketing sucked dick. Like, they were coming at you with Alec Baldwin like he's trying to recreate his character from 30 Rock, right? And um, and on a subtle level, it kind of is. But at the same time, it really does have... It really does have its own character and its own narrative that it follows. And the way that they come together to do these things, uh, to work together as, you know boy and baby um really really is clever um everything from how the babies come to earth to how the, uh how the babies stay uh babies and stuff like that uh the idea behind you know cuteness level and and the idea that is there enough love for all of the kids in a family all of these things are very, very well done. Um, now, on the downside of this, uh, aside from the fact that when you watch the trailer, you you don't, as an adult, you don't want to see this movie. I, we went, the whole family went, and 
Jen and I were laughing our asses off the whole time. And, um, it, and, and based on the trailers, we never would have saw this movie. I mean, literally, like we were talking about last week, Tim threw himself on the sword so that the kids could go see the movie, which, by the way, they say thank you for. They said thank you, Uncle Tim, just for the record. Um, and, and, and so, we just were like blown away with the heart behind this movie, the, 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 the subject matter, all of the in jokes that are there just for adults. Um, but even for people who aren't parents, aren't kids, um, the idea with the imagination, with all of the make believe and everything like that, it really kind of, um, gives you a perspective on what it meant for you. And even if you were someone who wasn't necessarily that creative, um, in that regard, um, I think it, I think it gives you the appreciation of looking, of being able to look back and then understand when you see kids doing things like that or your family members or you hear those stories, what makes those things, you know, so cogent for you. And, that's what again that's the all the strengths behind the movie the the biggest part of the mo- the problem with the movie is that it it is it is a little too simple at times um in in terms of you know bad guy reveals and in terms of putting things together uh with a nice little bow for the storytelling and stuff like that um and it and and it does it in such a way that again cute and clever but you just i mean you just see it coming a mile away so you're just kind of sitting around waiting for all those in jokes to come and get you and if they don't you can kind of feel you can kind of feel yourself detracting from the movie to kind of pick it apart and look at other things um it's not to say that it's boring or slow but it definitely um it definitely misses occasionally in trying to hold your attention. For the kids and stuff, totally and totally awesome. Totally awesome movie. Uh, I give this one 4.25 out of 5. I was truly surprised at how much I enjoyed this movie. It's fantastic. Really, really liked it. Uh, and I believe that you will too. Take it away, Tim. Well, you are definitely not the only person who likes this movie because I'm actually surprised by its box office poll. This movie grossed a lot. I think even DreamWorks was even pretty surprised by how well this movie was received by the casual moviegoer, despite its Rotten Tomato scores being so low. I guess it's not so low. I think it's like 53% rotten. But The Boss Baby, yeah, uh, I, I thought it was just as sporadic, colorful, witty, and full of like pop culture references like every other Disney Pixar flick put out the past seven years. And just like those movies, Boss Baby is carefully planned and scripted to appeal to its viewers. And like those other Disney Pixar movies, the idea is novel, but to me that's it. And a lot of those Disney Pixar movies, again, they're from the last seven years. I'm talking your Finding Dories your In-N-Outs, your Good Dinosaurs, where it's like they're following the same formula. It's not like toy, the Toy Stories where they do something different. The humor still holds. Um, there's heart, but it works all together as one big movie. But what the Boss Baby does right when I compare it to the last seven years of Disney Pixar, 
What it does right is that it doesn't feel outright insulting to its audience. You know, outside of its many Indiana Jones and Julia Child and Elvis and Lord of the Rings and pop culture references, you know, which you'd think by this time we'd be surpassed referencing all that stuff by now and maybe replace those references with something more recent, but just as effective. That I guess that's kind of like one of my biggest drawbacks for this movie is that a lot of the, the really laugh out loud funny stuff that I think kids would find funny you and I have seen multiple times before. But again, the movie doesn't feel insulting, despite those references. It feels like it's trying to be something different. It's trying to be something that's entertaining. And it works. But the movie is flawed. It does feel a little bit formulaic. But just not like Disney, Pixar formulaic. And I also found it pretty interesting going back and reading reviews like on Rotten Tomatoes and independent reviews and whatnot that I found that a lot of uh, a lot of the complaints very interesting. Like in a lot of people that had these crazy complaints were these like hipster ultra PC late stage millennials. You know, they were very upset and offended by like Timmy having that sip of of Long Island iced tea. In my opinion, the funniest line from the movie is when they're in Vegas and they hitch a ride in a limo with a bachelorette party. And Timmy, the boy, exits the limo with one of those yard drinks of a Long Island iced tea. He takes a sip of it, doesn't like it, spits it out, basically says, man, those guys in Long Island sure don't know how to make an iced tea or something like that. It's really funny. People were very upset about it. People were also upset. Apparently, the baby pacifier that the babies used to teleport to go back to Baby Co. was actually LSD. <laughs> Again, like a lot of that bullshit that people were complaining about wasn't worth it. And I had all I had all that in mind when I was watching that movie, and I just thought a lot of people were just kind of overshooting themselves. The problems with this movie, again, is is its humor. We've seen it all before. It's a little too rushed, and it's a little too sporadic and too random. But it is a decent movie. If you're the casual moviegoer, go with a family member, or if you just get a kick out of this material, there's nothing wrong with it at all. You will definitely find enjoyment. So I give this one, however, three out of five. It is just good. Wow. Um, I I am truly impressed. I, I didn't think... Um, I, I, I didn't think that you would even hit three. I was ho- really hoping at best for a 2.75. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I didn't... I, I figured... Um, that you would at least find it okay, um, and maybe even borderline good. But I am, I'm, and I'm very happy. Believe me, I'm, I'm super happy that you uh, were able to get to a three on this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's entertaining. Well, right on. Yeah. All right. Well, then that leaves us with the Love Witch. After Jerry died, the cops wouldn't stop harassing me. They couldn't prove anything. They actually thought that I killed him. Anyways, San Francisco got to be a really bad trip after you left and that's when i remembered you had that extra apartment hey hi i'm trish hi trish well what do men want just a pretty woman to love and to take care of them love me love me what i'm really interested in is love you might say i'm addicted to love i met this great looking guy I used love magic on him. Then he got really weird on me. 
all these emotions started flowing out of him. Witchcraft is just a way of concentrating energy. Can only work with what's already there. I just use sex magic to create love magic. Sometimes it's almost scary how strong the love gets. And sex magic, of course. <laughs> Anything for love. 2016 horror thriller film. Uh, it's written and directed by Anna Biller, and it stars Samantha Robinson, Jean Keys, Lauren Waddell, Jeffrey Vincent Price, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Paris, Jared Sanford, Robert Seeley, and Jennifer Ingram. And this is basically a movie about a witch who is searching for love, uses potions and whatnot to get men to love her, and of course, the fallout that happens when things don't work out. Uh, this is definitely done with a very, very set agenda in mind. Not that the agenda is bad, but the the agenda is almost very militant in its direction. Um, and the set style is definitely meant to harken back to the 60s um with the exception of cars and cell phones the almost the complete aesthetic is like 60s horror um so and again very very rigid in terms of its presentation in terms of its storytelling that's not necessarily a bad thing and in terms of that look and feel it helps you kind of forgive the campiness there but basically uh, the problem with the movie is that despite these highlights of the film, which are, again, I, I like the aesthetic and I like the idea, um, I just don't think that the movie itself really comes together in a truly cohesive way. It's kind of like in its... Um, the fact that it's working so hard to leave an indelible mark in the way that, the, in the way that um, Elaine who uh, is the witch in question, um, is meant to, 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 to leave you with the impression that she has as a character. Um, the fact that they worked so hard to, to make this character and this story indelible in your mind makes it inflexible in the way that it needs to relate with the rest of the cast so that the story is cohesive overall. What you have instead is a couple of kind of um, moderately interesting moments with some funny campy stuff, um, but instead of it feeling over the top uh, when it's being campy and when it's trying to be violent, it instead just kind of feels half-assed because it, it's trying so hard to stay true to the story that it can't you can't get lost in the movie. And even when you can suspend your disbelief, um, you, for the sake of the plot, you're then just kind of left going, but the, but the characterizations don't mesh. Um, and I think it's because of the agenda again. Uh, and, and, and again, I, I use the word agenda mainly because of the, the blatant themes that are put behind the film. And while I think that those are themes, especially social themes and, and the way that uh, women are seen when they're in power, when they're in command versus uh, how they 
are expected to be seen, even to a certain degree in today's day and age, with, uh, you know, being demure, being sexy just for sexy's sake, and seeing role reversals happen, that juxtaposition fails. So it's a really interesting concept, really interesting aesthetic. I just don't feel like it was pulled off very well and didn't come together the way it should. So I give this one 2.75 out of 5. It is definitely better than okay, but I can't really say that I liked it. What do you got there, Tim? Yeah, that's a very fair review. And in fact, I feel pretty much the same way. This is a 3 out of 5 star movie for me. I went into this movie excited to see it. Uh, I've been talking a lot about it on social media. I'm a, a, the, the poster for it, the poster art, is so retro and absolutely beautiful. I was at a screening of 2001 A Space Odyssey at the no not the at the Aero Theater over in Santa Monica a month or so ago and before the movie began actually before the movie and during the intermission they had various slides of upcoming films upcoming uh, screenings and all that stuff and, and past screenings and they had this picture of what turned out to be uh, the actress Samantha Robinson's character Elaine in a bed holding a knife she has this great beautiful retro black hair and the in the in the red lipstick and the eyeshadow and the mascara and all that stuff holding a bloody knife with this very Dario Argento-esque red blood you know running down her her arm and it was absolutely captivating how the colors clashed with one another the the red blood you know that deep red blood how that clashed with the beauty of her face and the retro technicolor look of the set it was again it was just absolutely captivating and so I found out it was actually a new movie that came out. I thought it was a movie from the 70s, and it was called The Love Witch. So I was doing more research, and I found out, well, that's how the entire movie looks. I saw the actual poster for it, very similar to the picture I saw, and it looks absolutely wonderful. So I've just been very excited to see this movie. The film is directed by Anna Biller. Apparently, she is very familiar with this style of directing in this style of cinema because after doing some more research it looks like all the shorts that she made when she was at going to ucla in her previous films were shot this very same way she apparently has a great affection for these 60s 70s uh, horror genre flicks because a lot of these movies when they pertain to women you know had very feminist qualities and because Ann Biller herself is a feminist, she was able to directly, I guess, relate to these films. And so she decided to take on that aesthetic and apply that to her work. And holy shit, man, I, I think she is absolutely brilliant of a visionary. She knows uh, she has an incredible eye for detail. If anything, watch this movie because of its look. It's absolutely worth the money to rent it. Uh, if you want to go as far as to buy it, go ahead and buy it, because I'm sure the special features and everything that she has to say on the commentary, yes, there's a commentary, I'm sure is very informative and absolutely worth it. In fact, the movie is clearly a labor of love that apparently Anna Biller, she uh, made all the costumes and designed and painted Pretty much all the sets, all the backdrops and the paintings that she had hung up in her house. She also created the music. She did the score and wrote the song lyrics. She achieved a great vision. But ultimately, 
this is where my complaints start entering. Ultimately, she lost her way with the script. The script floats freely from one scene to another. I get what she was trying to achieve. It's just she didn't achieve it fully. The lead actress, Samantha Robinson, looked the part completely. 100% looked the part. But her acting, I don't think, really fit the part. I, I understand, at the time, in the 60s and 70s, some of these ladies who were absolutely beautiful couldn't really act all that well. But their performances worked for what the movie was trying to achieve. It worked. Because the movie was all about maybe either the story or the visual appeal of the movie and really didn't focus heavily on the acting. Well, this movie, because of it being over two hours and it being story and dialogue heavy, it relies a lot on the acting. And her performance really isn't that strong. But one performance that is very strong that I actually really liked is the park guy. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't tell if it was bad that because this movie is about female power, I find the park guy to be the better actor. I mean, it just pretty much all came down to his reactions. Just absolutely priceless. And unfortunately, he's only in the movie for like 10 or 15 minutes. But the supporting actors, the ones that look the part, do an incredible job with the acting. They're on board. And I guess on top of all this, you really don't know if this movie is trying to be a homage to the Italian horror and hammer horror films of the 60s and 70s, or if it was trying to spoof it. You know, I just really couldn't tell. At times, it felt like they were, they were being serious, and at other times, they really weren't. And I think that could be attested to how not great structurally the script is. And I don't know if you feel this way or not, Matt, but if you're going to go full homage or parody of the 60s and 70s Italian horror, hammer horror flicks, down right down to the retro costuming and the coloring why not set the movie in the 60s and 70s, you know? And same with the music. I mean, the, the music is retro. The dialogue is retro. All the costumes are straight from, I mean, there's nothing modern about it other than them using the phones, other than the cars. It seemed like it would have been, in the computers, it seemed like it would have been super easy to not show the cars because they did have classic cars. They didn't need to have a computer and they didn't have to show the phones. I think that, to me at least... It would have helped the movie a little bit more. I think, again, it that's the juxtaposition stuff that, that just didn't work. Um, I, I think it's, it's meant to be a constant reminder of the things that still happen in today's world, despite of how we think of things being still, I guess, in this particular instance, 50 years ago. Um, to show just how little has changed. Um, and, but also speaking to, um, I guess even in, perhaps even in a feminist mode, how role reversal, um, you know, it still doesn't, it doesn't fly even in a role reversal kind of a way. So, um, like I said, I, I think it's just a bunch of different kinds of juxtaposition that just don't work, but it's cool to look at. Gotta give it that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a uh, lot of cool things to look at. 
There you go. All right. Body parts. Oh, yes. Well, the body parts, too. <laughs> All right. Well, then that is going to do it for the movies this week. Next week's movies are going to be Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Colossal, and The Belco Experiment. All movie theater movies. Yes, yes, yes. So, I believe, without further ado, we are now down to the spiel. Are we not, sir? Spiel on. Alright, well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both, slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast, and you can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can even follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter by going and following at Nitwit12345. You can also climb aboard that information superhighway and track on Tim on Twitter, if that's your heart's desire. And don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio, as well as tracking us down on the old SoundCloud. So until next week, this is Matt saying thanks to Toby McGuire. I get to say this. I started working around 8th grade. I remember doing a Doritos commercial where we were there four days in a row of eating them. And I will tell you, I have not eaten many Doritos since. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>